We're sitting in a 78. Basically, the floor fell out of the quality of life scores. I talked to parents I work with who have kids, and they said their kids are just devastated. At the same time, we have to at least acknowledge that by not going back, we're also causing issues. People say, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. I said, we're not. Hey, everybody. This is Pat Cohen with the AD Insider Podcast. Today, we have the opportunity to interview Dr. Tim McGuine, who's a distinguished scientist at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, and he also serves on the Sports Medicine Advisory Committees for both the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association and the National Federation of High Schools. In our interview, we are going to discuss his most recent study on the impact of school closures and sports cancellations. Before we get started, this podcast is powered by Clawade Coaches Directory, the team that has been helping coaches and administrators connect for close to 60 years. If you haven't already, download their app and update your school's information today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this AD Insider Podcast. Tim, thanks for joining us on such short notice. I emailed you earlier this morning, and boom, here we are. So thank you so much for making the time. That's good. I always love to, uh, love to help out when I can. And it, it, where we learned about you was from doing the Wisconsin Athletic Directors Roundtable last week, and they did a 10-minute piece on your study um, it, that you presented to your legislature last week. And, and we just said, you know, getting them on a call would be phenomenal for our national audience and for our coaches. Uh, so that's how we got here. How did you come up with the idea of, of finding out what the impact of sports cancellations would do to the quality of life of our high school student-athletes? Um, well, part of it is because of what the data we had. So in the past five years, we've collected data on over 5,000 kids in Wisconsin for different studies and knowing physical activity levels, social health, mental health, quality of life. And when this came up, again, you know, we're thinking late March, April, things were just changing rapidly. You know, we had no idea. I was on Zoom calls in the state of Wisconsin and across the United States, different, different stakeholder groups, and finding everybody swimming in what are we going to do. And we had other research projects teed up that were ready to go, that we're ready to collect data for. And it was like, hey, we're not going to have these sports. We have to, you know, what can we do? What can we make lemonade out of lemons, essentially? And I think it, it's stuck home for me when I talk to parents I work with who have kids and they said their kids are just devastated didn't want to leave their room people talked about you know the kid was bright and cheery and a soccer captain now will not leave their basement because you know everything's done and so we said well we've got this data set I've got a great research team at the University of Wisconsin that I can pull together physicians researchers statisticians biostatisticians and some child health care experts I said what do you think we could do to figure out the changes. Can we collect data and compare it to this really robust sample we have from the last five years when kids were playing sports regularly and do that. And so we got lucky in that respect to go ahead and do that. So, you know, we, we took advantage of a, of a bad situation, I guess. And what was the total number of students studied in, in the study? Well, we think just over 13,500 total okay. around around the country you know a large portion of that is is wisconsin and so but we do know uh, in some states have very low representation but we had over a thousand from illinois i think a thousand from indiana ohio uh 600 from kansas um we had i think eight or nine hundred from oregon so we do have that and according to our statisticians then we can look at what the uh participating participation rates for sports by sex and state and we can 
basically use data formulation to say how representative are our our data to the entire data. So for Wisconsin, basically, we looked at it. We said, these were the kids, when we collected data in the last five years, these were the percentage of kids that played football, basketball, volleyball, et cetera. Here's what we have now. They put it into a formula. They can say, this makes it representative. Like it'd be, we're almost making a random chance that they would have filled out a survey instead of self-reporting the survey on their own. Right. And so that makes it so it's more uh, reliable when it's compared yes. to historic yes. data. Yes. And that's what was really cool to see in the PowerPoint was uh, here are the numbers and but here's how it usually is. And some of them were pretty right. astronomical differences. So why don't you go dive into, you know, what what information you were able to suck out of those 13,000 people that filled out your survey? And I, I got to be honest. So we've analyzed fully the data for Wisconsin. I okay. looked at the overall data. That's a larger data set. There's more moving pieces and things like okay. that. So I looked at some of those uh, initial queries and it looks like the data are gonna be similar. Okay. I can't say they'll be exactly the same, but yeah. I will say, so again, we had this good, and at least from Wisconsin, a good generalizable sample about what was going on. And um, the first thing that blew me away was when we looked at questions on anxiety. So we had two, two sort of mental health questionnaires. One's called a general anxiety uh, disablement seven, meaning seven questions about anxiety. And there's nine questions about patient public health. Nine is depression. And these are scored on a zero to 21 for anxiety, zero to 27 for depression. They can be scored numerically. A higher number is worse. You have more symptoms of anxiety, more symptoms of depression. They can both be scored categorically. So we know that scores under this level means they have no or minimal issues. They have a mild issue here. If they score over 15, they have moderate anxiety or moderate depression. So we, we looked at those and, and initially, uh, one of the first things that uh, I got involved with, the numbers seemed much higher. And then looking at some of the, just not the number, like our average is less than two or three, suddenly it's eight or nine for these depression scores. So it's mm -hmm. jumped dramatically. It's well over the standard deviation. It's a concern. And I talked to our child um, psychologists, psychiatrists on a research team or physicians. I said, if you're a clinician and you have a young athlete come into your clinic and you're screening a college athlete or high school athlete, what scores would make you say this is an issue? And they, the, both people said, if it's five or above, means they have something that would require some sort of additional medical referral, medical intervention. So five of the seven symptoms. Well, a score on a 21 scale, 21, okay. if they scored five or more for anxiety or scored five or more for depression on a zero to 27 scale, these people said we got an issue. And that was surprisingly initially that two thirds of our athletes scored five or greater. And so the child psychiatrist said, this is a huge issue. This is numbers I've never seen before in this settings where we would expect to see, because again, our child, our, our athletes are better. They have lower depression. They have lower anxiety than the non-athletes. Right. And so that was a big thing. And if we just look at scores like moderate to severe, where this is serious now, we really got some issue. We're talking about a third of the kids reporting moderate to severe anxiety, moderate to severe depression that leads to other issues. And those are the things that, that again, the medical team I work with were like, this is crazy. These numbers are Concern. And you talk about other issues. That's, I mean, that's like later on in life. That's like some are not yeah. going to college. All right. Those, like, but some I, of those I, issues immediately are, as you know, like you said, um, 
you know, they said in the short term, they're less likely to even want to go to class, to study, to stay in school. They're more likely to self-medicate with alcohol, opioids. They're, more, they're less likely to engage with peers constructively, less likely to engage with teachers. That's in the short term. But the long term that you mentioned, and again, these people are telling me that these issues that we develop as a youth or adolescent have long-term impacts. It's one thing if you're 50 and lose your job and get depressed and have those other issues. But they also talked about kids would manifest these conditions, anxiety, depression, and these mental, horror, mental health disorders at an early age manifest themselves and they're less likely to go to college or other secondary schools. They're less likely to engage in a fulfilling um, career. They're less likely to have a meaningful familial relationships. They're more likely to use substances, opioids, alcohol for the rest of their life. So that's where this is a compounding effect. As one person said to me, she said, we're essentially planting trees. We're planting seeds and it's a seedling and we're years not going to see it, but it may manifest itself in this huge tree of problems 20 years from now. Right. Right. And so, you know, going through the data of there was anxiety, there was depression for mental health all your life. And then what we also did physical activity because there's a, there's a way to measure physical activity and we've done it for a number of years and different scales. And we'd use a short questionnaire from zero to 30 and uh, a higher number means higher physical activity. And there's, there's, it's scored by, you know, how often do you do physical education classes? How often do you participate in sports? Do you travel on athletic teams? Do you those type of things? And we found in our athletes, most of the scores over the years were 23, 24, you know, average of 23, 4. And the scores we found in this sample was 12. They had a 50% decrease in their physical activity. Wow. And and you think that's a one-off, that's different. But again, it ties into the overall health picture because our, our child health experts are saying organized sports and exercise are powerful anti-anxiety, antidepressant activities. Those are things we prescribe for kids to get rid of depression and anxiety. And the fact that they don't have physical activity is compounding that, you know, we, that we're saying, and then this isn't a one-off. We can't delineate how much is missing school, how much is missing sports, how much is it because mom and dad got laid off from their job. We don't know. Right. Right. We think everything's related, but as this person said to me, the fact that there was always, you know, there's basically a level of anxiety and depression with the pandemic news. You can't turn on the news without feeling some sort of anxiety, right? And then we took out this wonderful intervention of exercise and organized sports, and we got rid of that, that we could have implemented. So that's a compounding effect. And as this person said, they only expect is the longer we keep kids out of exercise and sports, the more we can expect that to perpetuate. That it's not just mental health and physical health. They're related. And the relationship is, is interesting. And then overall, the quality of life scores. And again, the wonderful thing about the quality of life scores we do is we can compare them to other samples of kids. So again, we know that athletes score very well. They score better than kids that are injured in their athletic career, um, short-term, long-term. We know they do better than non-athletes. And so we were able to show, like, compared to previous athletic samples, which we're scoring in the 90s, 92, 93, 94, we're sitting at a 78, which is low. How low is that? Uh, comparatively, we've studied, say, young ladies with ACL tears and show their, their score will drop down below 90 to 80, 83, 84, 85, and climb right back up. We know in the week after concussion, we studied thousands of kids with a concussion where they can't go to school, they had, you know, can't go to practice, can't get, their score went dip below 90. And then when they get to their sport, it'll go back up. 
we're sitting in a 78. And I looked at historical samples, the only comparable samples I could look at and compare it to was it was, it was higher than kids with childhood cancer, cerebral palsy, diabetes, but those chronic health conditions, but every other population we've studied, it's lower than anything we've looked at. The only scores that are better at are these kids with these chronic health conditions. So basically the floor fell out of the quality of life scores in our sample. And now that we have these decisions, I think the tough part is now athletic directors, superintendents, district-wide uh, staff, they have the decision of, do we allow activities on our campus? Right. Do we allow summer training? And the risk in some communities is very low to, you know, the COVID numbers are very low. And so it, it gets to the point where, you know, the community is asking these schools to, to provide that outlet, um, barring any risk of COVID. And it's just, it puts everybody in a sticky spot. So I don't, any advice for those that are in that, you know, well, debate of do we go or not? It, it's hard. And it, it isn't, I think some of the realizations is getting at our state legislator meetings and other meetings is, um, this idea maybe a more regional focused approach is better that if, right. if, if cities, counties have high numbers, maybe they have to take a more cautious approach than low numbers. As I said, I, there's a big debate. I was on several Zoom calls. There was a big urban versus rural discussion. Mm -hmm. And people from one side saying it's all or none. If our state doesn't go back as a group, none of us go back. And other people from the rural or the smaller communities are like, wait a minute, you know, we've got to do what we can do for our kids. And if that limits travel opportunities and, and they play more of a, a hybrid intramural limited athletic program, play with counties with low COVID cases, um, those are solutions that, that I think they're actively looking at. That's a tough thing. I, I also tell the school is the main hub right. of activity. In those smaller towns where right. the school is it, yes. whew, you're taking and, out the community's like energy. And I know it's easy to look at this through our own lens, right? We see what right. we see because of what we focus on the news or, or their, you know, so I, I live outside of Dane County. I work at the University of Wisconsin. I deal with a lot of professionals and I hear a certain, you know, here's what we need to do X, Y, and Z, but then I also deal with people in rural districts or districts from Northern Wisconsin. And it's very different. And it's interesting. And as one person said, you know, our kids are having to travel 15 minutes to get to a Wi-Fi hotspot. This idea that we can keep them out and do virtual learning and have all these wonderful interactions, um, it's just not going. And I, I talked to, I heard from superintendents that said they were concerned that, that they closed it all, that they, 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 you know, should have managed this better. They said the health of their athletes and their kids, their students would have been better staying in school, making sure they had the free and reduced lunch, making sure they had the, the interventions when possible. Is that, that gets back to the other aspect of mental health is, and again, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I have when people say, we're all in this together, we're all in this together. I said, we're not, you know, Disadvantaged kids are being hit at a much higher impact, negative impact, I think, than the advantaged kids in the higher socioeconomic counties. And they have a median household income. I think it's going to be higher. If I have two professionals, as well, again, a child psychiatrist told me, if I have two professional parents and their son or daughter needs assistance, mental health assistance, they will get it through their hospital, their clinic, they'll get a referral and go. With the low-income kids, their main resources to get that is in the school. And we've taken that away. So the problem is there. We know we need an intervention. The kids are most at risk are least likely to get the intervention because they don't have school. And as one person, you know, the person said too, he said for some of these kids, you know, that may be the one of the few, the coach may be one of the positive few 
few role models they have in their life where it's an adult that really cares about them and cares what they're doing and cares about their school and they may not get that at home and getting them out of that situation doubles everything up and makes it it interesting but it's going to going to do that and then i i also say and people don't like to hear this but anything we do with with sports or schools or public health policy it's, it's a trade-off yeah. uh, one of my public health policy classes years ago talked about that any prevention initiative seatbelts, smoking, immunizations, it's a trade. We don't really prevent diseases or deaths. We trade diseases and deaths. We may prevent a lot of disease and deaths with this intervention, but if it comes at a cost where we cause other problems, that's a trade that's difficult to make. Some are very easy to make. Yeah. You know, Do you want to immunize kids for polio, for polio and have this 90 vaccine that's 99% effective and everything? And the, yeah, wonderful. That's an easy trade. Um, it's less clear what we're doing this population. Uh, how best do we protect the elderly population, which according to the latest national estimates are you know, almost 50% of the fatalities were in nursing homes. Can we find a reasonable way to get kids in school and sports and still protect kids and people in nursing homes? That's a difficult thing. I know some communities say the elderly are very worried about um, kids getting back to sport because they would be more at risk and be afraid to go shopping or go to, you know, down the street because now kids are playing sports again. But, but everybody I, I, wants to know that line, right? They, they, yeah, they want to know exactly that where, how, what is okay and what's not because really? even, I mean, even I go into the store and I'll forget my mask and be like, Oh shoot, I got to go. Yep. My mask. Like in Colorado, it's, it, you have to go in with a mask. And it's, so those little things where you kind of, you don't know right. how much, how serious everybody's taking it. And it's like, even if your family doesn't, what if, what if they don't? Person? And I, I said, you know, you, I don't think any, I can't imagine any school district, any coach, any kids would want to put, you know, elderly parents or grandparents or, or neighbors at risk. At the same time, we, we have to at least acknowledge that, you know, by not going back, we're also causing issues and, and concerns that may not be manifested right now, but we're doing it. So I, I talked to one to a school district minister said, I don't want to make that trade. I said, well, you are making that trade. If you keep Certainly. school and sports closed, you've made the trade. Yeah. You've just decided that you just don't know. And there's no right or wrong answer. There's no, everybody's just, I said, one of the interesting things that I think could come out of this is somebody said, we we're going to have 50 experiments with 50 States going back. I said, we're going to have thousands of experiments. It could be a County by County basis of what's working. What is it? Right. You know, and what information would you like people to go out I mean, obviously you have your own studies and your own interests, which I'll ask you about in terms of what's the next step, but what do you want to see from other people contributing to this? Cause that's how science works. We all right, contribute right. to the greater being, the greater whole. I, I think more information in terms of, of, of how the infection is spreading, you know, three months from now ago, what we thought what was going on has changed dramatically. Right. Right. And I said more information that I think it's imperative to get out information on, uh, not just infection rates, but testing and deaths and all populations and who's most vulnerable, who's most at risk. Um, as I said, there's, there's some interesting meta-analysis meta papers that show closing schools had little, if any, effect on death rates. On flattening the curve? Uh, or death rates over, over the world. They said that at marginal or at best effect. And they said, and that's where the case, it's like, are there other social distancing measures we could do other than closing schools 
and they looked at you know it wasn't just Wisconsin it was right uh, worldwide data from you know Asia and Europe and things like that and looked at different countries and what they did and with their schools and looked at how that affected them and said you know it may not be this big panacea um, but that's really tough because people are making that decision for fall right now exactly and we don't know that so more data there would would, would help putting things in context and I think people have to understand that uh, people going forward are trying to do the best they can with the information we have it may change when it changes we'll, ad we'll adapt and we'll modify what we're doing um, I, I, I think the whole sport and again I had conversations what what sports go and some administrators some providers were like if we can't play all sports we play no sports and I said that's a tough tough sell how do you think it'll change going forward is pe going to be more important now because for a long time it was taken out of right. schools and the requirements went down and down and your research basically shows the need for physical activity right. and the mental and physical health of our, our student athletes so i guess the question is do you see that changing maybe the structure that we had for physical education and sports a year ago I, you know, I would hope, I would hope that'd be one solution. You know, do we do more fee intramurals, you know, interschool type things? I think I would, that'd be great if that could go. I know we talked about that in our paper that, you know, organized sports have kind of taken over the role of PE. Uh, and so having more organized sports, but less, it, it's filled that niche. I don't know. It'd be great to see if that could happen. Um, it'd be interesting to see phys physical or sorry, historic data. Right. You know, from the years that they took it out compared to when it was in. And we're talking about the growth of the student student population, not just the student athletes. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's going to be a challenge going forward. There's so many things, you know, obviously everybody just wants to know, you know, virology and immunology and those data points, et cetera. But these psychosocial things are just incredible. The learning scope. Um, I talked to a number of teachers that, um, are very frustrated with the whole online experience, you know, and, and depending on their years in, in the teaching, they weren't prepared at all for this or their district was struggling right. and things. And, and, and they're talking about, we were worried about kids losing two and a half months in the summer. Now they've lost seven months or six months of no academics. And then Total you're, you're going to have some people say, that's why we need to focus less on the physical. I'm going to say, no, we need to focus more on the physical and those, those, conflicting forces hopefully not too conflicting are going to be working hopefully together to try to figure out that balance in, in terms of what we can do to get this i think that that's going. a that's a great way to wrap this up in terms of making sure that um we focus on the athletic side of things and and don't let people take that away just because there's not enough time for all the other lessons like it's a big part of development for our students and student athletes so Dr. McGuan, I, I thank you so much for taking the time with us. Uh, phenomenal information. Um, if there's any other, you know, last piece of advice for our athletic directors out there, I'd love to give you the mic and, and let you roll with it. If not, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Oh, I just, I real briefly, um, you know, again, we're all doing the best we can. I, when people want answers. We're providing the answers when we have them. Um, I, I, I commend them at this day and age. I think it's been tougher to be an athletic administrator or a coach the last 20 years. I've seen the changes. I've seen a lot of things make it make may shake my head. So I, I applaud them for their efforts and trying to do the right thing and keep kids active, keep kids in the sports. Uh, they're truly doing wonderful work. I hope it's appreciated. It's appreciated by me. I hope it's appreciated by other parents as well. And thank you for listening to the AD Insider Podcast. We're here to help provide access to experts and educators in the field of athletic administration. So please let us know what you'd like to hear next. All you have to do is message us on social media 
or reach out to us on our website, athleticdirectorinsider.com.